Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am super excited about our guest today. We've got Catherine Porter, who is the founder of The Resourceful Lawyer, and we are here to talk about one of my favorite subjects that I don't talk about nearly enough on this podcast, but we are talking about process and operations and making sure the back of your house is turning out the stuff that people are actually paying you for when it comes to it. But I'm really, really excited to get into this. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Catherine. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about how you got here. So um, let's talk about, you know, what kind of led you to the path of of working with this kind of stuff with law firms today? Yeah, like the practice of law itself, I don't think everyone, you know, starts going into, well, most people don't go to law school saying, I want to be a blank lawyer, right? So I um, I went to law school. I didn't even get that far when I was in law school. I just thought law school sounded like fun because a friend of mine had just gone, her, finished her first year. I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. Like, And I'm a perpetual student. So I would go back to school in a heartbeat if, if only someone would pay me to do that. <laughs> but anyway, so that got me on the path to law school. I didn't really think about the whole being a lawyer thing. But so I was with one firm for almost uh, for about 17 years. And I practiced mostly eminent domain and valuation, and I liked it well enough. But I and I did some schedule things with, to be home with my kids when they were small and, and things like that. And it just you know got to the point where I wasn't really going anywhere. And so that I knew I wanted to do something different, and I I didn't know what. And even then, I've always been interested in in how we do things and how we can do them better. So I was what project that I took on even then wasn't a formally project managing, but I really is informally a project manager for it was some of the um, marketing to marketing efforts to landowners who were whose property was being considered for acquisition by a public agency. So I, you know, I just built out that it was just an Excel spreadsheet. I didn't know about so many tools that are available now, but it was that I always liked that part of it. And so after I left that firm, I bounced around a couple of times. And finally, I ended up doing some freelance work for through a freelance platform. And I ended up working for a firm doing a mass tort case. And I came on board to do the substantive legal work. But I really noticed that things were just kind of all over the place. It was really hard to know what person A was doing versus what person B was doing. And when the partner wanted to know the status of something, she had to talk like three different people and figure out whose information was accurate. And I, so I came in and I was like, well, you know, I have this tool that I like to use. I think it could be really helpful. And then boom. And then that was the most fun I think I've ever had practicing law was building that out, building the system and actually doing the project management, which wasn't technically practicing law, but I just loved it. And it was, like I said, it was kind of building on what I would already done and what I already liked to do anyway. That's awesome. And like for people who want to have kind of, if that word is foreign to people, when you say project manager, what does that usually entail? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a lot of communication, but it, the first thing a project manager do is, is just make sure that you understand the requirements, like what's what are the major milestones, what needs to get done when, and really making sure things are moving forward towards that deliverable, whether that's you know, a discovery deliverable or like with mass torts, you know, a plaintiff fact sheet or medical records review, things like that. So the project manager has that 30,000 foot view of all the different pieces that are going and making sure that they're getting done 
And I like to say it's making sure that the right people are doing the right work at the right time. Yeah, that's super interesting because I feel like traditionally I've heard a lot of people use that term. Maybe like, I don't know if this has to do with a certain job title level or something like that. But usually when I hear project manager, a lot of it's kind of the taskmaster aspect of it. But with these projects that you're talking about that got you into it, you are also taking on this role of an architect almost. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the piece I think I enjoy the most. And, and you know, I like to build things out and, and solve problems like most lawyers do, right? And that's just where my brain goes is always like, how can we do this more efficiently, just better overall, less stress, things like that. Okay, awesome. And then like, as far as kind of the, uh, the situation, so now, you know, you're working with other firms in the capacity of doing this. So what kind of challenges are people tending to find themselves in? Or like, what kind of messes are you you uh, are being brought to you these, these <laughs> days? Or how would somebody know they're in need of something like this? Yeah, I mean, I had a client who had an IP practice and she had over 300 marks, trademarks that she was handling. And she was doing it all through a Google Doc, which is not bad, but she was having to hunt and peck for the information that she needed. She deadlines were being missed, status, you know, so go months before someone checked on the status of a mark. And uh, I mean, there can be months anyway, but usually you want to check every couple of months, see if there's been any action. And so I think, you know, so that was kind of an example of everything was just kind of up just here and there and everywhere. And there was no coherent system for monitoring that caseload. Yeah. I'm like, I can kind of think about the drawbacks that would come from it. So it's like one, you know, their throughput is going way down. They might be like having more man hours going into this than they need. They're not able to collect funds as quickly as they would otherwise. And like maybe they're even their payrolls inflating because they have people working on things inefficiently where they could be working on like much lower people. Like what other issues do people have when they have these kind of like problems? Yeah, I think another big thing is is the communication and just knowing, uh, you know, nobody really always knows what's going on with something. And so it's, you know, you have to look in three different places to find the status. And, and I Back in the day, I used Excel spreadsheets. That was fine. But it's, you know, it's saved on your local drive and your version is different than the person down the hall's version. And it's really hard to know what what's the actual fact without having to reinvent. Let me go back to the court website and check on the status. Was this filed? Or, or managing attorney, you assign work. And I know a lot of attorneys, it's like, okay, I've assigned it. It's kind of off their radar now until it's like, oh, do we send this out? And, you know, instead of having to wonder about it, you can check a tool or just, you know, or talk to your project manager and ask, hey, what's the status of this? And they should have an answer for you in real time immediately. So that's another another way to, to um, that's another way project management and the project manager can really help you. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's like some of those things are hard. It's like, I feel like if somebody's visible with the, the lack of an outcome or the slowness of an outcome. It's like sometimes, you know, who hasn't like felt like that at some point when <laughs> you're running a business? But at the same time, it's lack of visibility is a tricky one because it's like you don't know what you don't know. And you know, I'm, I'm sure you have kind of a tricky situation where you're getting parachuted into these situations and have to kind of work out what's what. But, you know, as far as kind of a tough definition of things to happen. So it's like, you know, you have all this complex thing. So one of the things I definitely wanted to talk about, which is something that, uh, you know, you have featured super prominently in, in, in some of your content and stuff is this like human centered design. Oh, and yeah. what's sort of the philosophy that, you know, when somebody has one of these big hairy problems, like what do you, you know, what's your base principles? Like, how do you start attacking something like this? Yeah, well, in terms of an internal, just how you're doing things and how you approach things as a human centered design is just like it sounds. It's putting the humans at the center of the design. And I know 
we like to say, I think you alluded to this in our conversation a few minutes ago, talking about the backstage, right? And making sure that that backstage is doing what they need to do so that the people on the stage who are client facing are able to do that, make them, you know, or make, make the backstage makes them look good. But getting that backstage to work isn't just about the process. It's about the people who are doing the process. And if you think about the client and all the different touch points the client has with the firm, you know, it's really, you really want to have that. You want to make sure your people are presenting the the image of the firm that you want them to present. And to do that, I think you really need to take care of the employees and, and make sure they have the tools and the resources, what they need to do their job. So it's not just the, the client isn't the only human at the center of the design. It's, it's <laughs> everyone who touches it. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, it's kind of funny too, because it's like, um, you know, taking a little bit of a detour too, because it's like a lot of the stuff that we're focusing on just with the day-to-day, you know, not necessarily the podcast, but just, uh, you know, working with the agency is like, you know, we have clients that we're working with as well as, you know, our own situation with what we're selling. And it's like, it's one of the toughest things from a marketing and sales perspective to ever be in a situation where you don't trust the product. Because the level of conviction that your frontline staff, if they're in, you know, if you if you got a junior attorney who's in a consultation with someone and somebody just gave them the news that they bombed something with the client that they signed last week, like they're not going to be hitting the ground running in that consultation. And conviction is such an important thing. So I think a lot of the times people think about this kind of project management stuff as a bottom line problem, but I think it can also affect your top line in a really, really big way. But um yeah, let's kind of talk about there's a couple of interesting things to go there because I feel like a lot of people talk about process, but like it's difficult sometimes when how many situations is, have you ever seen where somebody has you know super well documented process, no one's following it. Right. Yeah. That's that's the that's always a, a problem. People have these beautiful you know maps or what, which I'm a huge fan of. That's what one of the first steps I do with clients is let let me come in and understand your process. And flesh that out by, again, by talking to everybody, not just one person who's coming to me, but the whole staff, whoever's involved in it and really trying to get understand the steps. But yeah, you can have these beautiful process maps and they get filed in a drawer and never see the light of day, which... I think the to me, for me the solution to that is some of the tools that I that I like to use for implementing that process. And so you know, and I think even Clio and some of the other typical software that law firms use has some of this capability. You know, tasks and question checklists and things like that. So yeah, you have to have a way to implement that process, and you want it to impl- be implemented automatically if you can, which it usually can. So yeah, I think that's what that's to me the that bridges that gap is use a, a tool or it can even be your Outlook email or calendar too, and just have it all automated so that you know you don't have to think about what comes next. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's like it kind of bridges to this next question too. Because it's like I think you have things that are like solvable with people, but there's also stuff like it's solvable with technology. So like let's expand on that like a little bit. So like what are some some examples? I think you mentioned like the calendar thing, but you know if we're taking through, I don't know if you have any like recent examples of stuff that you were able to automate that might have been like previously done by like uh, people within a firm. Yeah, one of the things I have for my own practice is with litigation. So I have it, I use a tool called ClickUp, which is a one, just one of many, many tools out there for this. 
but I've got it automated. So if I go in and say, you know, I got served with discovery. So I create a discovery response task and it will automatically assign it to, well, it's always me, but it could assign it to someone else if I had someone else. And, you know, and it, and it plugs it creates a debt, another task for, you know, sending the discovery to the client or checking to see if we've gotten the responses from the client, things. And so the whole process is just automated and then you can have it assigned, you know, when something, when task A finishes, it goes directly to task B and task B gets there. The person who's in charge of that task gets a notification saying, hey, you need to do something with this. And then they know what's gone before. They also know what's coming next. And so, and you can have things in parallel. So I think that's for me, the the tool that bridges that technology that bridges that process so that you're getting your move, it kind of automatically moves it through the process. Yeah. It's kind of interesting like too, because it's like you have this, um, your answer, like there's, there's sort of a couple of really important things that are happening there. And I like you, you, you go really fast Catherine, which is awesome because this kind of saves you, but for people that are like following along. So like there's two super key things that happen there, right? So one, we have the ability to get like tremendous leverage. And like one of the things that we talk about sometimes we've had uh, guests on the podcast talking about, you know, stuff like hiring assistants and stuff. Like if you have somebody who can bill out for $500,000 per hour, don't put them on $15 per hour tasks. But even if you have people that are doing $15 tasks, don't have somebody spending time where that could be something they could have done by you know a machine. Don't have them copy and paste the email to send it from the thing to the thing if you can just have the two things talk to each other. So like the point of like, you know, the potential of getting leveraged by, you know, essentially these like Rube Goldberg machines of getting all these things too is, is fantastic. But the second thing that's built into that, which I think is incredible, is like the visibility. So that goes back to the situation where nobody knows where anything is. But if you have all this stuff integrated to in a platform, not only can you have a lot of this done without human intervention, but you also have the situation where from the top down, you can see exactly where things are at any part of the process, right? Exactly. That's one of my favorite parts. And, and as a, if you have a project manager or if you're just managing your own cases, uh, you have a lot of the tools have workload views. So you can say, okay, well, I've got this discovery and I can send it to an associate A, but oh my gosh, they've got like five other things going on right now. You know, and, and person B over here doesn't have as much going on and you can at least get them started on it and, and they can move through it that way. So the, that workload too, balancing the workloads is also really helpful. Yeah. I'm just kind of thinking about all the potential conversations that this saves, right? Because it's like, you don't have to wait until your next weekly check-in with the associate Ada to find out how things are doing. Like you can just kind of get the the objective truth in there. But um, I kind of want to get into something too, like as far as getting people to comply with this, I think there are elements that we can't automate, but what kind of challenges do you run into as far as getting company-wide buy-in with this kind of stuff? Because it's like, you know, I think um, I'm a big, uh, do you ever read Getting Things Done by David Allen? I think I've seen a lot of stuff from it, but I don't think I've actually read the book. So one of my favorite concepts from this is he basically is like, well, you know, your mind is going to keep tabs open, basically just like keeping things until you get a system that's 100% certain, because when it's 98% certain, you have the one thing that'll blow up every six weeks, and you're going to start, you know, keeping these these tabs open. But I think similarly, for like across an organization, if you've got 80% buy in, then you can't really trust that attorneys matters are attorneys matters because what if they forgot to enter them or something like that? So yeah. how do you help people get that kind of buy-in across the organization? Because I'm sure it's yeah, tough that, sometimes. Yeah, that's a challenge, a question I get all the time because it, it is tough. And, and you know, a lot of people are just, they have burnout. They don't want to log into another platform. 
Mm-hmm. And another, you know, another place you know, I had a paralegal one time who was like, I don't need to have to go. I don't need it to tell me to do something. And then when I've done it, I have to go back in and mark it done. And I'm like, well, no, you know, she's like, if it's on my task list, I do it and it's done. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, but this helps the visibility. But so I think, you know, it's, it's, you have to get by. One of the best ways I think to get by in is, is borrowing from human-centered design is really having the person create uh, the process or build it, help you build it. And then they're no way they're like, okay, well, I see it and this is how I can use it, right? So it's, it's change management, which is a big part of a project manager's job. And, and it's always a challenge, especially a lot of attorneys, they don't want to take the time to learn something new. So I think you have to come in and make it as easy as possible. Like, I don't even go into my email box that much. I almost... Live exclusively, especially when I'm managing a project or working with a firm. I'm almost exclusively in the tool. I start my day there. I've got all my tasks that need to get done that day or that week, and I can prioritize them, move them around. And so, you know, I think that's the solution and is to get as much in one place as you possibly can so that it is the one source of truth. And so sometimes it just takes a little pushing and prodding. And, you know, I had a partner who he was afraid to go into the platform because he was afraid he was going to break it. <laughs> like, yeah, well, really, wow. <laughs> I, and I was telling him, I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, I, I can come in and I can take things out of the trash if you accidentally delete them. And, you know, every once in a while, he'd move a task to a different list or make it a subtask of something else. And like, where'd this go? And, you know, we're able to find it. But I, you know, I use the email capability, the automation email capabilities and communicated with him via email. It wasn't for me, it was just from the platform. And he could respond to it and go right into the task that was being emailed about. And so that was just a little easier for him because he was so used to using his email inbox. And that was kind of the help him transition slowly, move over. That was the training wheels. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think, you know, as when I'm building something out like that, it's you want to make it as seamless as possible and really understand that person's blocks like what is it that they're resistant to is the most yeah well, it's kind of interesting too, is like some parallels from the stuff. And I've had like podcasts about this, but like, you know, I, I've never used ClickUp personally, but like we're a huge Asana shop, which should be a more or less same like features. But we had to tell the you know, employees across the board. It's like, you know, if it's not an Asana, it doesn't exist. Like you cannot, like you're not allowed to expect someone to do something else for you if it's not an Asana and tough cookies if you don't want to do that. And eventually, I'm not going to say we had to like let clients, we've never fired somebody over their use of Asana. But, you know, at the same time too, it's a point of discussion when if somebody ends up being resistant, either directly or just, you know, through lack of committing time to learning how to lose a platform. And yeah, I know it's been it's been something that you can kind of work on. But like, you know, these are solvable problems. And I always just try to kind of like address the you know invisible objections that people might have to like not getting started with this, because the outcome, like you were saying, is just like, it's just fantastic when you get the situation where you almost feel like you're, you know, like Tom Cruise in Minority Report and like, you know, you're, you're able to just actually see everything as it actually exists, as opposed to just being constantly assailed by emails and SMS and Slack messages throughout the day, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one admit putting something in the in the advantage column is that you are really you really can make it so that you'll only have to go to one place to find everything that you need and set your agenda for the day. So I think that's one thing. I like to make it fun. I usually have a little onboarding tasks that are kind of interesting or fun. I guess people using the platform, but it's easy and and hopefully fun. I don't know. I'm in an enviable position is that at least when 
the people come to me. So at least one person yeah. in the firm <laughs> is on board, right? Yeah. They wouldn't come to me, but to, to help them build out a tool or a system that they don't want to use. You know? right. So it's, it's how I get the other people around them to get on that, to get on board as well. But, yeah. And it can be tricky, but you just, usually people just eventually get used to it and see it and see the power of it. So it yeah. for itself yeah. at some point. Well, that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing too, because it's like, I feel like when you have the situation where if you are the head honcho and you're just like, yeah, this is how it's going to be, like people kind of have the opportunity to fall in line. But do you have any advice for somebody? Okay, if somebody's listening to this podcast, like I would love this, but my partners might not be super into it. Like what advice can you give somebody to try to get buy-in across the board for a project like this? Yeah, I think the main thing is is to really do your best to upfront to make the value up visible upfront, and so you can do that with demos, which I know a lot of busy lawyers don't always pay attention, take the time and pay attention when they're there. Uh, so offer CLE, I you know that's always a good thing, gets yeah. people in the door. Doesn't always get them to pay attention, but it gets them in the door. I think, like you said, is is you have to have somebody with enough gravitas to say, hey, we're doing this. It's important. Um, and it's also okay, you know, maybe you start with one practice group or one specific ta- uh, group of tasks or something. Like I like I like to start with a one practice group and then they become the advocates for the other practice groups to adopt it. If that's how your firm is structured, it could be just one attorney and their team, uh, you know, hand doing it and they see the value of it and they're talking about it to other people or they get the other person in and they see, you know, getting invite them into that little ecosystem and have them just use it. I think the more hands-on you get people using it, that it just starts, it just builds its own momentum, I think. Yeah. I also think people underestimate how bad the alternative is because we've all just been doing it for so long. I just read a Cal Newport book, World Without Email. I don't know. You mentioned not using email, like, but yeah. we we haven't had email at uh, internally at Casey at all. Like we, we only use it to communicate with partners and clients. And it's just like such a, a breeze not to be able to do it, but just to have the situation like, you know, my partner, like as she, you know, she's stuck with like answering emails and has Slack on her phone and stuff like that. I'm like, I can't imagine this alternative, just like the constant, you know, cortisol attack that you're dealing with stuff and just kind of always being like half on. And I think people get used to it, but it's sort of like an abusive relationship. Like you can't see a way out because you're so used to it. But once you get to the situation where you can see a properly optimized workspace and how freeing that can be, I mean, it it doesn't even like it's obviously I think it feels better. But at the same time, too, it's like, I mean, the productivity that people can get out of it is tremendous either. Like, you know, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I think that's a big thing, right? Is making it it's so much easier when everything's organized for you and you are not guessing, well, what's coming up this week? It's like right there and you can choose and you have a lot of control over how you view it. And I think the email thing, I mean, I know a lot of communication gets lost in emails. And so it's not just the people who are saying, hey, partner didn't read my email. It's a partner going, did I see an email about that? And now instead of emailing, what do they say? Other, I can't remember who the original, who this is attributed to originally, but email is other people's agendas, right? Yeah, for, yeah. Your, for your time. Whereas going into a tool like Asana or ClickUp, and you get to decide what your agenda is and you can see the tasks that are coming up for the day. And it tunes out a lot of that noise, which I think is very appealing to people. And you can set it so that you're getting notified only when certain things happen. And again, like one, like this one partner, it was a pretty big matter. And 
she was just has so many balls in the air. And so she's like, I just need to know, I need one place to go to see all the things that are ready for my review. And so she could. So we created a, I don't know if Asana ClickUp has views. And so I created the, you know, her dashboard or, or her view or whatever it is with the, whatever tool has, you know, and she could just go on that and she could see everything that's waiting for her and how long it's been waiting and who's the person that was working on it before it got to her. So it just, I think, you know, you have these examples like that and it's really powerful, but because I think it's really giving people back their time and giving back their control over their day. Yeah. And to kind of think about how convenient it is going back to like, you know, personal productivity concepts like, you know, batching and stuff. If you can have 15 of the same shaped thing to go hammer that out, if you're getting that at one time, you could probably bang that out. And I'm just pulling this number out of nowhere. But like, you know, if you could do that an hour versus 15 different times, like I read a stat once, I think the switching cost as far as getting back into deep work is something like 20 or 25 minutes. So that 15 times, times, whatever, you know what? It's like six, seven hours that you're losing out of your week. I know everyone says that they work too much in, in this industry, but at the same time too, it's like, I wonder how necessary some of those hours are sometimes. Yeah, and the whole thing about the hours and the working is, that's a whole other conversation that I can have. <laughs> I can talk about that for a long time. But yeah, I think the idea behind project management or project management tools is is to really, it, it should increase the efficiency. So you're not re- doing the same thing over and over again or having the same conversations over and over again. It's all in one place and it's all you can. I, I It's funny that you mentioned batching because I'm a huge fan of batching and I even have my to-dos are listed by batching day. So then I can oh, look nice. at them. Yeah. And so Love that can... style. <laughs> <laughs> so I could go in and look at my days and be like, okay, yeah, on Mondays I do this and on Tuesdays I do that. And it's it's... And then everything else just slots into that, which is really nice. Yeah. Well, I'm actually curious out too, because I'm sure that you've developed some really cool stuff for yourself. And like, I know we've kind of been talking about the stuff you've been working with clients, but you know, we also do have a lot of solo practitioners that listen to this podcast. You know, for people who might be open to it, like what kind of benefits do does what a smaller firm have or a solo have for getting this kind of stuff in place uh, for their own workflow? Yeah, I, I like I said, I use it all the time for my own practice. And I use, I take advantage of a lot of the automations and templates to because again, it's like, why well, have to recreate something? So when discovery is served or when you serve discovery or a motion gets filed, you know, either for you or against you, you just it like pops up all these other dates just are automatically in the system now. And and there's ways to adjust them, not to get too technical, but there's the, oh. the view project management. A lot of tools use the Gantt view, which is like a bar chart with, if you think of it as horizontal with the time, so the time's going horizontal and dependencies. So if a date gets moved, all the other dates get realigned based on that date, which is great because, you know, it seems like everything always gets um, continued or things like in law, you know, we have an extension is granted to respond to discovery and then it'll just kind of move everything else down line automatically, which, so that's a great tool too, a way to look at that. That's fantastic. I mean, like, I think like the, probably the default that a lot of people are working with too is either just like not really knowing when any of these states are <laughs> just kind of dealing with things reactively, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the things about having everything in one place, because especially in litigation, you know, there's always surprises, right? Yeah. And, and, but when you have everything else kind of running like clockwork, you just, it, the surprise, you can take those surprises in stride. They don't usually derail you, at least not as much as they might if you, you're like, oh, wait, wait, I have this due, but I have this due too now. And it's just, yeah, it can get extremely stressful. I think that's also a really important thing to bring up too, because I think a lot of people stop starting because 
or hesitate to start because if they have anything unpredictable, they give up on predictability. But it's like you've taken as predictable of an approach you can have to a type of outcome that has some chaos in it. And you're able to get the benefits of knowing and having visibility, despite these things kind of coming into your day to day, which I think is super cool. But yeah, that's really awesome, too. And like, you know, as far as benefits for your, you know, your personal life, too, it's like, you know, I think it's probably part of the ways that you're able to maintain both a, you know, active like practice in, in law and an active practice in project management consulting at the same time, right? Like, I'm sure like you have some big time advantages from getting that rolled out for the law firm side of things, right? Right. Yeah. You know, the other thing I think that's helpful is it also for anybody that's running their firm or their practice group or whatever, like for my business on the consulting side and, you know, for the bar too, I, I track my CLE in my practice management tool in ClickUp. Um, I actually have a template that I shared somewhere, but anyway, yeah. so I'm like, I know it's floating around there in content somewhere, but uh, yeah, you can always email me and I'll, I'll shoot it over. But I, so I, yeah, I track my CLE and I also have, you know, renew my business license, pay my bar dues, all those, you know, those things that you don't necessarily remember to do. I know for my LLC, I have to remember to file my statement of information every two years. Well, like talk about having that tab open. You don't want that tab open in your mind for two years, right? Yeah. So you just, I just know it's in ClickUp and it'll pop up at the right time and, and I'll take care of it. So, you know, it just really takes that sort of the operational side of things also and, and integrates it with the actual legal work and deadlines that you have. Yeah. There's this quote that I, I used to love a lot. I used to tell this to like people who were working on my team a bunch, but I think a lot of this is kind of an extension of this. It's like the, um, I think it was the the faintest pen is stronger than the strongest mind. <laughs> it's like yeah. kind of taking this to like the extreme example, but like you're at the point where you can truly relax. And like, I think that's a, that's something that very few <laughs> attorneys are, are able, I mean, either, you know, are incentivized to overstate how busy they are, you know, or stressed they are, but it was just the thought of actually being able to relax into having something completely taken care of is a really cool outcome. In my it, it, I always I think about it, you know, I think a lot of us can relate. You wake up in the middle of the night, oh shoot, did we do this? Oh shoot, did we do that? And well, A, you can log on and look if you really want to. Yeah. And B, you're like, okay, no, it's, it's handled. If it would have come up and click up if it wasn't handled or if it was overdue or whatever the, you know, whatever the notices that you need and you can have that that assurance that things are not, the things that your tab, mental tabs are somewhere else and you don't yeah. need to worry about them as much. Yeah. Uh, all right. So switching gears to it, and just, I, I know um, this has been a super, super wide ranging conversation, but I want to be respectful of the time. So I want to get technical. You've got some project management techniques that you're a fan of. And I was really, really interested in asking about this. So, you know, what are your favorite techniques for improving the efficiency and profitability of, of legal matters? Yeah. And I think the first one that we we talked a little bit about earlier was, is the workflow mapping. That's the number one thing I think that I that I like to start with. And that I think is super helpful because you have to really understand what your process is. And then you can figure out how you want to implement it with the least amount of e personal effort and day and time. But I think you really have to understand exactly what the steps are. And, and it's iterative, which is also a human-centered design. Design thinking is yeah. actually we talk a lot about iterations and which is a hard concept, I think, for lawyers. We're usually we're like, get it right the first time, you know? Right. And it's like, no, you can adapt it. Oh, this doesn't really work in this communication. You know, there's a step that's falling off here or there's a bottleneck here or something like that. And so you go back and tweak it a little bit. And it's always easier to have an outside person doing that stuff. But I think that's probably the workflow mapping and taking the time to do that is, I think, the most valuable thing that you can do, even if you don't do implement it just mentally. I think it's a great exercise for lawyers to go through. The other thing I like is, and this is 
you know, from the software development field, they have these meetings they call stand-ups. And the idea is that they're so short to sit down, right? In software development, they usually meet daily. I Law firms, I know, they, you start counting up the dollars of the people standing there, <laughs> even if it's only 15 minutes, right? Yeah. So um, daily might be a bit much, but I I think that the idea of just a short, quick meeting, whether it's once a week or once a, you know, once a month might be difficult depending on what types of thing you're working on, at, you know, and it's just super quick. It's just a check-in of like, what are you working on? What do you have done? What questions do you have? And if they're longer, if those questions need longer answers, they get pushed to what's called the 16th minute, which is the end and everyone else gets to leave, you know? Yeah. And so the, and I think as a managing attorney, it cuts down all those interruptions. You're talking about switching work and switching tasks mm-hmm. and losing time. It cuts down on the, oh, hey, you know, walking down the hall, knock on the partner's door. I had a quick question about X, Y, Z. Well, if you have that kind of daily or, or frequent check-in, I think it helps eliminate that. Same thing with using a tool, the communication there and can be a quick message through whatever, you know, communication chat feature you might use uh, instead of that knocking on your door and then you go in and you get to answer it on your own time, which I think that's kind of become a theme. One of the themes I've been talking about is setting your own time and your own agenda and and still being responsive to people, but you're going in and saying, okay, what do I need to look at, you know, instead of having those interruptions. So. Yeah. And if you're not reacting, you have the space to kind of be proactive, which I think is what a lot of people want to do more of. But it's kind of funny too, like when you're talking about this, like it made me think it's really easy when you think about implementing this from new to like look at the cost. But like people, you got to realize that if you're not doing the 15 minute stand up meeting, you're probably getting the 15 minute calls multiple times per day or the knocks on the office. It's like you're already paying the price. You just haven't put a label on it yet. Right. Yeah. But um, this is super awesome. As far as like any other kind of tips and stuff, like, you know, this is an awesome conversation. Like what's the, for people that are, you know, kind of looking to get in your world, like what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, the best way is to email me, Catherine at theresourcefullawyer.com. I'm also working on, going to put up, hopefully by the time this airs, a a section on my website about talking about some of the resources that I typically often mention. Uh, So it will be theresourcefullawyer.com slash podcast. And so people can grab, you know, ClickUp, links to ClickUp and and some of the other tools that I use and, and just some articles I think people might find helpful. So check that out. But again, feel free to email me directly, Catherine at theresourcefullawyer.com. Okay, fantastic. And then we'll get that for the show notes for everybody who's listening. But um, Catherine, this is an awesome, <laughs> awesome yeah, conversation. Fast and Furious. So thanks again so much for your time. And for everybody else, I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law for Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.